Welcome to the Misfit Stars Podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, listeners. So here's the setup. Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists, and this podcast is our weekly date for getting on microphones and talking with one another and with you about what's mattering to us this week. We are so glad you're here. And hi, Shannon. Hello. Hi. Let's start with some announcements, announcements, announcements. Oh, good song. I have one announcement. Uh-huh. Uh, book Club is continuing this week. Yeah, nerds. Uh, our final three nights of Book Club, uh, where we are reading a chapter each night from the new Good To Me book uh, on a live stream on both Facebook and Instagram. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week are the last three nights of Book Club. Book Club is fun. It has been fun. It's been really fun. Like, you know, we've had people there each night, like sharing their thoughts and ideas. And like, we've gotten in some great discussions. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a little bit hard to like have a discussion where one party is talking and the other party is typing a comment into an online form. But we make it work. But we totally do. It's great. Um, So come to Book Club, 7 p.m. Pacific time on Facebook and Instagram Live simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, join us. It will be great to see you there. It would be great to see you there. And I have one announcement also. Which is? Uh, Shannon's blockbuster new album, Good To Me, <laughs> is out in the world. And you should just go listen to it. I'm going to include some links so that you can do that. It is just this wonderful album. And you know what? We got the absolute best little review of it. Oh, let's hear it. Oh my gosh. Somebody on Macedon just took it upon themselves to say this. They said, uh, now playing Shannon Curtis, good to me. This release is simultaneously beautiful, vulnerable, and uplifting, and aggressive and empowering in the most cohesive way. (laughs) Get lost in the sound between punchy and floating. You will cry, yell, sing maybe at the same time. Fantastic storytelling, lyrics of substance and resonance. Ah. Superior 80s synth vibes, but with much more sonic depth and layers to enjoy with brilliant production and modern sound. Since there is no weak track, there are many standouts, but I Am is an absolute ripper. (laughs) You go ahead and try to resist the urge to lace up your roller skates. (laughs) 12 out of 10, infinite replay value. Ah. 10. I love it so much. I love it so much. That's wonderful. So people, you heard it on Mastodon. Shannon's new record is an absolute ripper. (laughs) All-time classic. 12 out of 10. Go listen to it. You can find it anywhere you stream stuff. So if you just want to go looking for Shannon Curtis, good to me, it's there. Mm -hmm. You can find it on Bandcamp also if you want to listen to it for free. And uh, you can find it at the links that I will put in the show notes. Excellent. Thank you, Jamie. And how are you feeling today, my dear? Oh, thanks for asking. Today, I am feeling grateful and serene. Oh, that's good. Uh Uh-huh. I love it. I know. I just have those two feelings, and I don't have a lot more to say about it. Because that's the nature of serenity. That's so good. It's true. That's wonderful. How are you feeling? I'm feeling, I was looking at my feelings list to come up with it, because I was like, struggling to like find it on my own. I'm feeling pretty centered. Oh, good. And engaged. Mm. Like, I'm, I... I'm enjoying the the work that we have going on right now mm-hmm. um, and what's coming up. Like, I just, uh, I'm liking it. I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Same. I think I'm into it is another way of saying I'm engaged. <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, literally, it's like a synonym. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, why don't we get things going by uh, firing up the good news machine? 
All right, what you got? Okay, I've got this item. So this is great news. Uh, did is it you, the great news machine well, no, today? No, it's good news. Okay. Uh, did you hear that the, the Democratic Party mm-hmm. here in the United States, mm-hmm. they have completely reconfigured their presidential primary calendar. I've heard this and it's it is such good news. Such good news. So the new calendar, and I'll tell you what it is and why it's good news in a minute. Uh, the new calendar puts South Carolina yep. first on February 3rd. Yeah. Uh, 2024, followed by uh, Nevada on February 6th. New Hampshire, which was typically the first primary, uh, Iowa was the first caucus. New New Hampshire has typically been the first, you know, really the second contest, you know. Um, They may have an opportunity to also go on the same day as Nevada, but they have to change their state laws to make that happen. Mm-hmm. We'll see if it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, Michigan on February 27th and Georgia might be in the middle of there somewhere so again. actual state purple laws. states that are representative well, of the diversity of the Democratic Party. Well, yeah, and actually the, the, the main part, the reason that I personally think this is the best news is that... Uh, up until for forever, the first two contests in the presidential primary were Iowa and New Hampshire, and they're just very white states, you yes. know. And and it the, putting South Carolina first, you know, South Carolina voters who vote Democratic don't really ever have much of an impact on like presidential elections, like like they're never like they're the chances of them actually of their candidate actually winning in the general election are small, right? Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? So getting letting them letting a, a state with a large black population have such a, an important voice as the first contest of the Democratic primary is really important. Like it centers deal. the idea that we need we need a candidate in the Democratic Party for president that uh that understands the needs of black voters. Yeah. How great. Yeah. And then the second contest is Nevada, which has got a growing, uh, a, a big and growing Latinx population. And yeah. so having that voice like really early on is really great. Georgia and Michigan being really purple states, you know, Georgia being sort of like, you know, right smack dab in the South, really important. And Michigan in the like Rust Belt area, like, you know, uh, middle America, Union Town kind of, kind of places. Like these are, these are, these are the places where that should be deciding the Democratic, I mean, we should all be deciding the Democratic presidential nominee, but there has to be like an order. And this is, this order makes so much more sense if, if uh, like racial justice is important to you, sure. and like proper representation of of who is in the Democratic Party is important, so that's it's really really good news. I love it. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that really great news. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's get less dumb. Class, anyone, anyone? I hear you're going to help us. I get am. Less dumb. Okay, what is it? Okay, so uh, longtime listeners of this podcast know that Shannon and I are both. Big, big fans of a historian, an Eastern European historian named Timothy Snyder. Okay, yes. And he wrote a couple of really, really amazing pieces over the last week. Uh, And one of them was apropos of that corrupt FBI guy in New York. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this is not really touching upon that. This is a side note in that same essay. But he had this thing that he called the seven deadly sins of American journalism. Oh. And holy shit, they were so profound. Okay. I wanted to share them with people (laughs) because it just felt like something we all really kind of need to know, right? Mm. So I'm just going to read the paragraph he said about it. It's quick and it gives you so much to think about. Okay. Okay. So he says, for me personally, journalists are the heroes of our time, representing Mm. the most honorable profession, which is desperately needed here and around the world to preserve democracy. 
But there are better and worse ways of reporting, and we need the better ones. <laughs> uh, and then he, the rest of the essay, he's just quoting and citing from different places where journalism failed in the reporting mm. around the Trump-Russia scandal, mm, right? Mm -hmm. And he says, uh, in the passages I pick out below, we encounter seven deadly sins of American-style journalism. Mm -hmm. One, the implicit definition of reality as American official opinion. Okay, so the idea that reality equals... Whatever the officials say it is. Whatever American officials say yeah, it is. That's right. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Two, the conflation of a specific American official's statement with a fact about the world. Okay. Right? Okay. Yep. So basically, if an American official says something, then we're going to take that as being a fact about the world. Right. When it's actually just a thing that a person has said. Right, 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 right. right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Three, the disinterest in facts that are bountifully and readily at hand and which contradict the official opinion or at least call it into question. Mm -hmm. I mean, people, how many times every single day do you see this either on TV news or in print? Something, someone just quotes an official saying something. Right. And we all know that it's not true. <laughs> right, right, right. But they just quote the official. And don't mention all the facts that actually, like, prove that statement false. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Uh, four, a provincial indifference to the rest of the world, uh, even in a story which purports to be about another country. So, yeah. Like, talking, like, a classic example in current events and what he's talking about, what he has talked about in other situations, and he's talking about here about Russia, you can also think about Ukraine, mm -hmm. but you talk about these things not about as events, especially Ukraine, think about Ukraine. So much of American coverage of Ukraine is not about what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening to the people there. It's what's the American response to Ukraine? Or what is the what does the fallout of this war mean for America? Yeah, <laughs> like it's right? very America-centric. Yeah. What's the Republicans versus Democrats horse race <sighs> about Ukraine? Gosh. Yeah, like, right? Totally. And, and it's like totally missing the fact that it's not about us at all. It's about Ukraine. Right. So right. that. Yeah. Uh, number five, the reduction of events in American politics to a gossip game between two quote unquote sides. Oh my God. Like there are only two sides, first of all. Right. <laughs> as if that's it. And also in some <laughs> situations, as if there are any more than one side. Yeah. Right, right. Look, what do you mean by that? Tell us, say, say more about that. Well, like police murdering uh, Tyree Nichols, for example. Okay. You know? Yeah. Like, that's just a bad thing. There's, there's, not a, no, there's no other side to that. There's nothing good about it. There's right. nothing that can be good about it. But so much of the media over the last couple of weeks has been like, well, did he deserve it? Do black people deserve it? What's the nature, right. of, the, what's the nature of the conflict between the police and black people? Right, no. There's like, no conflict there. Murder it's is one wrong. Si it's one-sided. <laughs> murder is wrong. There's only one opinion. There's only one side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like a Mobius strip. There's only one side. Right. You're right. There's this, there's this knee-jerk reaction to, to like for a lot of journalism to not be like to, to to take every issue and be like, well, what's the counter view? And it's like if you're already dealing with a hard and fast truth, murder is wrong. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> there's not another side to that. You're right. There's no other side. It's a Mobius strip. Good yeah. call. Okay, what's next? Okay, next up, uh, number six, the concession of gossip game space 
to whomever gives the best quotation, even when that person is known to lie and has a stake in lying. Oh my God. And the example he cites here is Roger Stone. Right. Like he's, he goes on later in this essay to talk about like there was this very, very important, pivotal New York Times piece right around the time mm -hmm. that like the Trump Russia stuff was happening and Hillary's emails, all that October 2016 stuff, it all was coming out at the same time, right? right. Yeah. And they gave the last quotation in the article, a lengthy quotation to Roger Stone. Because it was like the most colorful Yes. Like, I don't know, like buzzy sort of quotes. That's like exactly clickbaity kind of quotes. That's exactly it. And so they gave him the last word, which as we all know, like how a thing concludes mm -hmm. colors your opinion of it. That's how they teach you to do it in school, right? right? You, right. Make, you make a sandwich. Right. You do the thing at the beginning and the end and the middle details support it, yeah. but it's the bread on the ends that right. you really remember. And, and this is a character that has been known for years to be completely untrustworthy. Like uh, Make that... Decades. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, he worked for Nixon. We're talking about going back 50 years. He's been a <laughs> shady, shady person. Yes. And they're just, because he's colorful, they concede the space to him. Right. Right? And the seventh deadly sin of American-style journalism, the pretense that refereeing a gossip game is objectivity. Oh, my God. I know. Totally. <laughs> I'm just an objective observer. I'm just refereeing what this side says and this side says. I don't have any responsibility to the fucking truth yeah. at all. It's like that famous <laughs> quote about journalism 101, right? Like, journal like journalism is not reporting that one person says it's raining and another person says it's not raining. Journalism is sticking your head out the fucking window and is saying it, what's happening. Is it raining or not? Yeah. yeah. Say what's happening. Like, like, I think about this in terms of issues of, like, uh, reproductive rights. Yeah. You know, like, what? well, you know, some people say that, that people with uteruses don't actually have a right to control their own bodies. <laughs> what yeah. do they have to say? Sorry, eh, not valid. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is, this, is not, this is not a point that needs airing. It's yeah. just, it's As so it infuriating. Were. And by airing it, of course, you immediately elevate it to equal status. You give it legitimacy. Yeah, you give it indeed the same amount of legit legitimacy as yeah. the opposing viewpoint which it is theoretically countering. Yeah. Just both sides. Is, is there objectivity? Yeah. No, there can't be. Nobody knows. We should, just tell you and you decide. Should trans people be allowed to exist? Are trans Some, people even humans? Yeah, should, Some people say no. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, that's really bonkers. Uh. So people, the seven deadly sins of American style journalism, be aware of them. Be on the lookout for them. And when you see them happening, do further Fact-checking on your own. Yeah. Like, find other sources and correlate sources. Mm -hmm. uh, Shannon and I have done multiple episodes where we touch on the idea of how to be a responsible consumer of media, but the very simplest reduction of it is don't just read one thing and then take that as being gospel, especially if you see them doing stuff like this. Yeah. If you see a news article doing stuff like this, that should be a huge red flag to you, Yeah. right? Like Another have, huge red flag oh yeah. should be if the article seems like it's really confirming a bias you have about something. Mm. If it feels too good, if it really is making you be like, oh yeah, I'm right. <laughs> Anytime an article's like, I'm right, Go read another article. You know what I mean? But like if the article is like, yeah, trans people are people, you are right. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, like there's some there's some things about things yes. that you you probably are right about. Right. Yes. You don't need you don't need to start playing the role of like objective observer or referee between two uh different ideas, one of which is uh, inhumane. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yep. so. 100% true. Yeah. Point being, uh, read from a diversity of sources mm -hmm. and read multiple sources on the same topic. You gotta because be no two journalistic outlets are going to cover the same thing in the same way and from the same slant. And 
if you read from a diversity of sources about everything that you're reading about, you can triangulate and kind of figure out where the truth is in the middle. Yeah. We just can't be lazy. We have to be on our toes about all this stuff. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, I have an item for the suggestion box today. I want to speak to your manager now, please. Well, what is it? Okay, so here's the thing. I realize that the, the suggestion box segment doesn't get a lot of love. And here's why. Because I think that most of the time I think about the suggestion box as being sort of like a place where I'm like uh, logging complaints. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, sometimes there's a reason for that, but there's not always a reason for that. But I read something earlier this week that it was like, oh, I could put this in the suggestion box, not as a registering a complaint, but like, let's do more of this. I love it. Okay, so- So we're still talking to the manager, but it's like encouraging. Yeah, it is. It's like, this was good. Let's do this more. Okay, here it is. It's positive reinforce. It's positive feedback for the manager not yelling. Exactly. I love it. Okay, so uh, Washington, D.C. has become the largest city in the United States to enact a zero fare bus bill into law. Mm. So- Starting this summer, uh, like I think in July, the $2 fare for the city's buses will be eliminated. You can just get on a bus in the city of Washington, D.C. for free, ride to where you need to go, get off, done deal. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the, the largest city prior to this was, I think, Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. Um, and uh, and they, so they've had a bus-free system or a fare-free system on their buses for a little while, since like 2019 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but how great. I mean, like, let's do more of this. I yes. want to see every city in the country have their buses be free. Like it actually encourages ridership. Like yes. if you don't have to worry about, I mean, like, like even like I, I would have $2 to, to spend on a bus fare, but the fact of having to figure out how to pay, do I have cash? Can I even pay with cash? Do I have to download an app to pay with this? Like it's, there's friction. Like the, the money is an issue for a lot of people, right? Like that, that is an issue for some folks. But even for the folks for whom uh, the, the actual dollar amount wouldn't be a problem, like the friction of having to pay for buses keeps people off of the buses. But like what if, what if here in Tacoma, the buses were just free and instead of like getting in our car to drive around somewhere, we just walked to the bus stop that's like literally across the street and like, you know, took that. It was free to do that. It might make sense in some situations. Like if we didn't want to figure out how to like park our car somewhere. Like it's the kind of thing that increases ridership on public transportation, which is good for everybody. It's good for the environment. It's good for public infrastructure. It's good for the feeling of community. Like, it's just good for people to be given more and better opportunities to use public transportation. Also, from a moral standpoint, a public good isn't truly public if poor people can't take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. So my suggestion is let's do let's do free buses everywhere. Heck, let's maybe even think about free trains. Whoa. Also. I'd like a free train. I know. I mean, Do you no, mean I get a train? No, no, train rides. Free train rides. Oh. Well, that's less cool. But I mean, it sounds good, I guess. Yeah, what a great idea. So anyways, that was great news. But I thought, yeah, let's do more, more of that, please. Okay. Yeah. Well, Shannon, this feels important. Please hold for a very important message. What's feeling important to you? So I just saw... This little, I don't, know, I don't know, it was a meme or maybe it was a t-shirt or something. And I don't even remember where I saw it. It was probably a t-shirt and I probably mm-hmm. saw it like, not on Instagram because it wasn't an ad. It was like someone taking a picture being like this. <laughs> but the thing that was on it that really made me think uh, was this quote. We don't need allies. We need accomplices. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then in the text, 
of whatever it was, the person touched upon what they called the ally industrial complex, mm. right? How allyship has become a real popular thing for specifically well-intentioned middle-class white people, mm -hmm. you know, people mm -hmm. like me. And their point is that allyship is a really great way to feel good without actually doing a goddamn thing. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you can just say it. You can just say, I'm your ally. Mm -hmm. You and I have done the next bare minimum thing that you can do, which is to fly a flag, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we have a trans flag. And I do think that's important. Like, we have a trans family on our street. We also have a Trump family on our street. And I want the trans family to know that they're welcome here and that we love them. And, mm -hmm. we, and we care about them. We mm -hmm. care about their human rights, you know? Mm -hmm. I do think that there can be a point in doing that. Yeah. But, like, the point that this person was making is that what marginalized populations actually need is for us to get out there and do shit with them. Get skin in the game. Get out there physically in the physical world and put ourselves at risk with them. Mm -hmm. Take some of the risk that they're experiencing on board and make it our own physical risk. Mm -hmm. And do actual work, not just like say, I'm for this or I'm with this group of people. Like, yeah. But actually, actually like doing stuff yeah. alongside with those communities of people who are needing to uh, rally causes of activism for their own survival and humanity. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So there's your encouragement, people. Yeah, you know, this is interesting. Uh, I was just revisiting um, Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart. Uh -huh. uh, specifically, I watched the HBO series that was based on that book. And there's a concept that she talks about in this book uh, about this concept of near enemies. Yes. And it, this reminds me so much of that. So a near enemy is like, Something that is, um, in, in Brene Brown's case, she would talk about how um, there are some uh, some feelings that are near enemies to each other. And and to understand this, you have to think, first of all, of, of what, like, far enemies would be. So, like, the, the difference between, uh, like, like uh, compassion, for instance, on one side, the far enemy of compassion would be cruelty, yeah. right? Okay, those, and it's easy to see how cruelty... Uh, is works against compassion. It's right? like, like the it's, opposite. They are, yes. But a near enemy is something that kind of in one light looks a little bit like compassion, but doesn't go all the way there and therefore uh, becomes an enemy, even though it's, it's sort of like masquerading as genuine. Like it genuine. saps its energy. Right. And so in that case, um, what she cites is as a near enemy to compassion is sympathy. Mm. So compassion is like, you are in there, you're feeling it with somebody. Sympathy is like, keeping your distance and, oh, I feel sorry for you, mm -hmm. which makes you feel like you've checked the box for being supportive or being there for somebody, but in fact, uh, you haven't. And it's it does as much damage, really, as a far enemy would. In this case, it seems to me like allyship is kind of a near enemy to accomplice Accompliceship? How do you? How would you say that? <laughs> Probably to being an that, accomplice, yeah, yeah. You know, allyship is is a near or being an ally is a near enemy to the idea of being an accomplice. Yes, which is an interesting way of thinking about that. So, thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate that. All right, people. So, there's your uh, encouragement for the day. We need fewer allies, more accomplices. Take it a little further. Yeah, push yourself a little further. Love mm -hmm. it. Um, how about we roll right on into the inspiration station? Inspiration station. 
I know that you've got two and I've got one, so why don't you go first? Okay, I'll do my first one here. I was reading, uh, I'm terrible about keeping up with my magazines that come in the mail. I've got like months worth of Vanity Fairs stacked up. I've actually haven't had an active subscription for a very long time, but they just keep sending them. And they also send things in the mail that are like, hey, you've only got three more issues coming. It's like, buddy, we haven't sent you money since like 2019. I know, it's crazy, but they keep coming. And I do enjoy reading them, but I stopped paying for the subscription because I was letting them stack up. Anyway, I was catching up. It didn't up. work. How, how, no. how frustrating. <laughs> the reason we stopped the subscription is because we had too many Vanity Fairs, but they keep sending Vanity Fairs. I know, I know. Anyway, so I was catching up on an, an issue from, I think, November of last year, and um, there was a little piece on Gloria Steinem, and specifically in her work with founding uh, Ms. Magazine in the 70s. So it was like the first like sort of like feminist magazine that was, you know, wide, in wide publication. And uh, they were talking with her about, you know, the what was going on in the world then and the the need for this magazine then and then thinking about her you know her her thoughts about what's happening today. Yeah. And, um, so she says here, uh, 50 years later, to flip through the magazine's first year is to fall into something of a time warp. She says here, quote, I didn't anticipate then that I would be here at age 88 confronting not exactly the same versions of issues, but the same kinds of issues. Mm. Issues like childcare, pay equality, mass incarceration, things like that. And she cites also this um, woman, Cynthia Ozick, on the absurdity of defining a person by their organs. And I, this is the, this is what I wanted to hone in on. I love this quote: "If anatomy were destiny, the wheel could not have been invented. We would have been limited by legs." And I just thought that was such an interesting mm. way of viewing the idea that, like, we in, specifically regarding this the the debate around the the existence of trans people, the quote-unquote debate. It shouldn't, it's not a debate. Trans people exist. They're wonderful. They're beautiful. They're yeah. amazing. Like, this, is, this isn't a debate, but that's how our society is framing right now, especially since there's so many, uh, specifically Republican politicians right now who are pushing forward absolutely horrific laws regulating the lives of trans people in yeah. just truly inhuman, in, inhuman ways. Yeah. Um, but like, there's, you know, very human, inhumane. Okay, is that what it is? It's I, a very human impulse. Okay, the thing that it is not is human. Okay, thank you for that for that distinction. But <laughs> but the the point is that like if we were if we were to uh, if it, if anatomy were destiny, okay, if the body parts that we have defined our destiny, the wheel could not have been invented because we would have been limited by legs. I just. That was just a brilliant way of looking at that. And I, I was inspired, so I wanted to share it with y'all. I love it. I have one. Let's hear it. Okay, so mine is a, it's a quote from the author James Joyce. Oh, okay. And it's remarkable, this quote, really. First, because it's six words long. Okay. It's very brief. You may remember that James Joyce is sort of famous for being somewhat long-winded. Yes. He wrote a book called Ulysses. It's yes. over 700 pages long. Uh, yeah. There are page-long sentences. It's a whole thing. <laughs> so for him to have a profound six-word quote, I thought was sort of remarkable. Good job, James Joyce. Good job, James. Yeah. Maybe next time apply some of the concision to the writing, but good job with the quote. <laughs> um, but he had this to say in all seriousness. I thought it was lovely. He said, mistakes are the portals of discovery. Oh, that's lovely. Isn't that great? 
Mm, what a great frame. It's such a good admonishment not to beat yourself up when you make a mistake mm. because mistakes are how we learn. Mm -hmm. But what a nifty way to frame it. Not just learning, but discovery. Mm -hmm. I think about that in my mm. artistic practice all of the time. Like when I fuck something up in the studio, mm -hmm. which I do with some frequency, often intentionally. I'll just like go down a rabbit hole and I'll realize I'm kind of like that little character with the baseball bat, like who is like, they smash up their whole room and then they're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Like that little cartoon, yeah, you yeah. remember? Like, what have I done? I'm like that little cartoon character with a baseball bat sometimes. Like, I'll just go down a rabbit hole with something yeah. I'm working on sonically and I'll be like, this didn't work out at all. <laughs> but I sometimes, often indeed, discover something also in mm. that process. Mm. It might just be like, I realized that I should have stopped three steps ago, but the thing I had three steps ago was freaking amazing. Mm. If I'm lucky, I can command Z, command Z right. back to it. But at least, if not, at least I can be like, this was a set of processes that led me to a thing I found inspiring. I took it too far, but I did find something there. Right, I do love that. Mistakes as discovery. That's yep. really good. Portals of discovery. Um, so I've got one just little quote also for this section uh, that I wanted to share. Um, I believe I saw this once again on my friend Naomi's stories on Instagram. She always has the best inspirational quotes. Mm -hmm. uh, but this one is from an, a woman named Octavia Rahim. Mm -hmm. And she says this, A blessing for this week. May you trust the truth of the closed door. May you know the protection, safety, and access to even greater opportunity it provides. Hmm. And again, this we're talking of, about boundaries. It's, well, it's kind of like a it's like a, a frame, kind of like your, the quote you shared from James Joyce. Like, oftentimes we see a closed, we encounter a closed door, something that we wanted, and like, okay, that that door is closed, and it feels like a disappointment. Mm. But I love this. May you trust the truth of that closed door. May you know the protection, safety, and access to even greater opportunity it provides. Because that closed door door might actually be protecting you from something you didn't actually want to be in the middle of or yeah. or maybe that closed door is pointing you into a different a discovery of a different direction where you're going to you're going to experience stuff that's even greater for you. You oh, know I, and love I, it. I love that. So I love it. trust the truth of the closed door. How nice. Yeah, really nice. Mm -hmm. Um why don't we wrap things up today uh, on this like efficient episode we've made? Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot going on, so thank you for bearing with our efficiency. Uh, we'll wrap it up with the gratitude crank up. Yeah, it sounds like a great idea. And you know what? I think it's fine to have a short episode every once in a while. I know longer episodes are nice, but sometimes just a little quickie in the afternoon a can be kind of great. A little snackity snack. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's your gratitude today? I am grateful today for all of the people who have recently been reaching out to me about work. Yeah. There have just been a number of them. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's really interesting mm -hmm. and cool. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, yeah, it's unusual. There's always people, you know, who want to do stuff with me, but the, the velocity of it has been mm. markedly noticeably picking up in the past month. Mm. And I just, I'm noticing it. Uh, you know, I'm holding it really lightly because I'm a freelancer and I know how this works. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. Uh, and I really am just very grateful. It's all very interesting people making nifty stuff That's too. It's really you cool. Know? Yeah. Like no one's reaching out to me like, hey, I've got 75 bucks. Can you mix my album? Or, you know, <laughs> or I've got a bunch of money, but I'm terrible. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. those are two, those are th extremes. Those are two different bad problems. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And I've had none of that. It's all people reaching out to me with, uh, with nifty music and who 
seem like good people That's and cool. it's really cool. That's really awesome. Yeah. My gra- item for gratitude today is very simple. <laughs> it's very sort of uh, mundane. Yeah. But I, this morning, um, upon waking up, uh, there was just this lovely rain on the roof and on the window and it just felt so peaceful and just such a lovely welcome into the day. And mm. I'm just really grateful for that moment. It was such, it's going to stay with me. It has stayed with me all day, um, that that moment of welcoming me into this day. So. I had that experience too. I mean, we woke up about the same time and it was <laughs> yeah. lovely and it stuck with me in the same way. It was yeah. really nice. Totally. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much uh, for spending some time with us today, listeners. We're yeah. so glad that you are here with us and that you chose to put us into your ear holes for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> in the most romantic way. I mean, what a great way to frame it. It's us in your ear holes. Our voices. Yeah. It's in- not It's not violent. It's not weird. It's not invasive. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally normal. I'm thinking of like little earbuds pushing, you know, putting those in the ear. ear yeah, holes. right. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> that's, that's probably a better really way to think about it. I wasn't really thinking violence, but thank you for yeah. it We're just going to jam this podcast <laughs> no. right in your ear holes. No, 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 no. It's like an ice pick of ideas. <sighs> Guys. No, no, no. And thank you also to our community of patron supporters who makes this podcast uh, happen, yep. that supports it, and all the rest of the work that we do. Uh, they're supporting all of that. We call them our misfit stars. Thank you, stars. Here's the deal with that, people. The people who support us in a monthly way mm-hmm. make everything we do possible not only for themselves, but for everybody, including for the people who aren't available or able to support it financially. hmm Uh, It's a big deal. It's like a self-perpetuating art and community machine. Mm -hmm. So to the people who are supporting, love you, thank you. To the people who aren't supporting and are not able to financially, that's totally fine, love you too. To the third group of people who are not yet financially supporting our work, but who are totally able to, wouldn't it all miss 10 bucks a month, say, for example, if it were just to go missing from your bank account? You're the people we're talking to with this. Please go to misfitstars.com slash support and become part of that perpetual motion machine. It's magical. Yeah. Perpetual motion machine. Fire it up. Yeah. I love it. We'll be back next week with more stuff to talk about. Join us on Book Club. And join us for Book Clubs Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week. Uh, But until next week, uh, take good care of yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah, we love y'all. Bye. Bye.